0: Good evening ladies and gentlemen my name is Andre Russo and you are listening to RC After Hours podcast episode number 86 yes I think it's 86 I really should check my notes Um, but we've got a guest tonight we have a guest who uh, who has been uh, I've been actually really excited to get him on the channel and on the show and everything and uh, without further ado I'm gonna pull the our guest this evening onto the screen. Make sure his microphone is live. There he is there. And uh, for those who don't know, this is Ali. Ali works for Hangar 9 uh, Horizon Hobby. And we're going to put him into the hot seat tonight, ask him a whole slew of questions. So if anybody listening live this evening uh, wants to uh, uh, pose a question, hold them. We'll get through some stuff. I want to you know find out a little bit more about, uh, about Ali and his background and everything. And uh, by all means, think of your questions and uh, we'll have some fun and we'll find out a little bit about uh, his history and everything. So good evening Ali, welcome to the show and I guess for, for our listeners, if you could give them that little opening shot about who you are and what you do and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there.
1: Hi Andre, um, hello everybody, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Ali Mashinchi. I am the lead product developer for Hangar 9, um, Horizon Hobbies, Balsa Wood, um, and Giant Scale brand. Um, I'm a lifelong modeller. I started flying my first solo RC flight was when I was three, so that's 42 years ago. So never left, never done the um, hiatus uh, in the teenage years. I carried on all the way through and yeah turned into a job i studied a marketing degree in london once i um, graduated from university with that degree i opened a it was a singular hobby store called owls hobbies um, on the outskirts of london with my father in 98 that expanded to six stores um all around the uk england and yeah from there we were quite happy and then all of a sudden about six years ago Horizon Hobby came along and said, would I like to have an adventure and move to the U S and work for them full time. So yeah, after lots of discussion with my parents and with my family, we ended up here in uh, snowy central Illinois and uh, five years later I'm the, as I say, the, the product developer for Hang Nine. I do other stuff at horizon as well. Um, I help out with the beta testing. I help out with, um, e-flight testing. A lot of the vit- flying videos, um, I-, I help out in, I am, I have a interest in marketing, so um, I set up a video format called On The Fly, which I do with my colleague, um, Pete Holy, and yeah, so jack of all trades, master of none sort of thing, uh, but most importantly, lifelong hobbyist. Um.
0: So I actually want to drill back into uh, a couple of the things you said really struck me right away off the bat was... Um, the fact that you've been flying for 42 years and that strikes me as pretty cool because if I could have flown as a kid, if my parents could have afforded that and then, you know, progressed on through because the hobby in some ways, yes, uh, at the high end and we, we've seen some of the stuff that you fly, that's that's like beyond high end, Um the hobby has gotten. Do you think the hobby has gotten easier to get into and afford as a parent and as a kid and as a youth and so forth?
1: Massively, yeah. I mean, the the first question is probably the the most valid and most important for me is: is it got easier? And yeah, I mean, the first business that I set up um, before the model shops was a flight tuition school. And I was um, pretty much every day out teaching people how to fly RC 40 size, you know, nitro power trainers. And yeah, for what we had then for equipment, for reliability, um, for tech, and compared to what we have now, it's infinitely easier now. Um, The learning curve we had was so vast, even the getting to the field section, you know, um, as far as the arf days uh, arf airplanes in those days you're still looking at a good solid week of assembly now you have the ability to assemble it at the field and not just something it's something that's really really good and has a tech in it that pretty much i wouldn't say facilitates but helps people learn without the need for an instructor i mean when i was first learning to fly, you were looking at months of building time and then going to the field and trying to find somebody to help you and that could be a problem and then breaking it and you'd have to start all over again because spares weren't available. So, yeah, it's so much easier now.
0: Very cool. And um, cost-wise, I remember like spending all that time building my first SIG and and being absolutely terrified, because all I could see flying through the air were dollar amounts, right? Because it was like, I mean, it was a serious amount of money. We're, We're talking early 90s, but it was still a fair investment to get going. And, you know, things like the the radio technology now is like you buy a radio. And back then it was like it was non-computer and you'd get the chips and, you know, you know, the routine. And now it's like, well, this this piece of lovely piece of technology I can use through a whole spectrum of, uh, of a piece of equipment now. So it's it definitely has come a long way. And like I said, um helped a lot of younger generations and we're seeing a lot of younger real superb fly. I was really impressed with uh, your trip you took uh, the other week and you, you, you showed a picture of a young man flying your Bronco and you know, and like your comments were like, watch this kid cause he knows what he knew what he was doing and it's phenomenal to see that, you know, and that's, that's not a small piece of equipment. And like you said, he flew it beautifully
1: yeah it's it's an irony of the hobby because it does it's a hobby that lends itself to the young you know as far as reaction time visibility the fearlessness and so <laughs> forth so yeah it's you know for me it's multifaceted when i don't see the young getting involved and vice versa it's really really rewarding when i see young kids picking up a transmitter and enjoying the hobby. So I try and make a bigger deal of it as I can. And that was a great example, you know, I was in Arizona and I was there at a warbird event and there was this young lad in two pit sections down from where I was. And I didn't see him fly, um, probably for the first day or so. And then the second day I saw him and I'm like, wow, you know, very quiet, um, understated shy kid. And I was like, he can really fly. And, um, yeah, so when he took my offer up of flying the OV-10, I was stoked. I was like, yeah, that's super cool. And he flew it amazingly well. So, yeah, stuff like that that warms my heart. There's, there's lots of moments in the hobby like that. I mean, there's lots of negatives, but I don't mm. focus on those. The, the the stuff like that, when I see youngsters, when I see family, it reminds me what the hobby's about. So, yeah, that was a, a, a big plus moment for me.
0: All right, let's dive into your current job at Hangar Nine, doing uh, and Horizon, and doing some pretty amazing stuff. I um, obviously uh, own a couple, well, own at least one product from Hangar Nine, um, but I feel like the product, the, the sorry, the, the the brand name has really switched on in the last two to three years. Like all of a sudden, it it we just started seeing bigger and better and more incredible stuff and a lot of surprises along the way. Um, you know, do you, uh, <laughs> I guess when you look at, when you look at the lineup and this will come into a couple of questions too, but um, how do you balance, how do you balance that, uh, you know, the, 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 wants and, and the realities of the hobby and everything in, in that particular product line too. your hangar nine line? There's
1: lots of discussion, lots of thoughts, lots of consideration. Um, there are compromises. We have to compromise a lot. Um, I guess the first discussion is regards segment, how we're doing in particular segments. You know, Have we got an aeroplane that's a smaller 10cc, 20cc sport aeroplane? Have we got a giant? scale warbird you know are there are any gaping holes in segments that we haven't filled or have found ourselves not competing in ones that we want to compete in um so yeah it's, it's not a one-person job um, although i'm the lead developer uh, there is one other guy that's done a singular hangar nine airplane in the last five years which is gary wright he's um, a fellow developer but what i'm trying to say is It's not just down to me. You know, I'll take the idea. The OV10 is a great example. Um, We identified a segment which was twin. We didn't have a twin-engined aeroplane within the Hangar 9 brand at the time. And this was going back three years. The general rotational cycle time of a project is 18 months to two years. Um, So three years ago, we started talking, and I was like, okay, I had two particular projects in mind. One was an OV-10 and the other one was a Shrike commander, air commander. And uh, I took it to the team and the team consists of first and foremost, my brand manager, Alex Alborz. Um, his job is basically the marketing and the the running of the admin of the brand and so forth. Um, and Then I took it to a work colleague, Craig Greening, um, who is a uh, Previous Hangar 9 product developer, he's now promoted to the field marketing manager role um, and said, look, what do you think, guys? And they can either say, you know, let's discuss it further. And then from there, it goes to the team meeting. And the team meeting will involve my category manager or category director sales and purchasing team. Um, And that's about it, if I remember rightly. It's been a while since we've had a team meeting together. So around the table, discuss it, and we go, okay, look, we've identified a segment, we want to make a twin, we want to make it this big, and we just hash it out, basically, and we do pros and cons, and go, okay, this is good, that's bad, this is good, that's bad, and do we need it, can we afford it, can the market support it, what are the forecasted sales, and um, yeah, if it keeps knocking down hurdles, we carry on going to a point where it gets a green light, and I reach out to the vendor that I choose and say, right, you know, a plane, make us a sample.
0: Very cool. Actually, Ali, um, can I get you to turn off your video? We want to perceive, I, I, I know the, the online guys are going to be crushed, but I want to preserve the audio for the podcast for the best possibility. So in your window, there should be a little camera off icon. Got it. There we go. There we go. That's a, yeah.
1: better, that's a better picture anyway.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it'll just uh it'll just make the audio that much nicer unfortunately i do apologize for that but uh it'll just uh and it makes our dialogue a little harder i think but we'll uh it'll smooth out uh okay so fantastic so so you have had this round table discussion with all your peers and various levels and everything and then you go out to your manufacturer and do you run into a wall as far as like you said, segments and everything? Is there a is there a is there a ceiling? I guess that's I guess the word I would use. Is there a ceiling as far as Hanger Nine or, or or any of your brands will go uh, before it's too much for the for the for the brand to to support?
1: Too much in what way, Andre? Too financially, much financially? Sorry, financially. Oh, too much the cost of the end product. Yes. like to say no if the market will support it no and I think it's fair to say that we've looked at how the market and I don't mean the mass market by any means um, but how a small segment of the market has had a need for larger scale more expensive aeroplanes and thought okay we'll try and fill that the OV10 is a great example um, before that, we had uh, a composite glider, an ASH-31, which retailed just shy of $3,000. And, yeah, you know, we're we, we realistic about, you know, volume isn't going to be the same as selling a 240 buck Ultra 10cc. But, you know, if we feel that the market will support it, I don't feel like there, there'll be a restriction to, to, to kill it.
0: That's amazing. That is amazing to hear. And it has, like, like I said, the it has been surprising in the last couple of years watching the brand kind of, well, here. And, and so do you have a community that you go out? Like, how do you determine, yeah, you guys can, if I, if you know, or is it, sorry, is it one of those build it and they will come kind of philosophies? Or are you guys got your ear to the ground and you're listening to what's going on in the community?
1: So, yeah, it's a lot. For me, it's a roundabout question, but um, answer, should I say. I, I do a lot of events, and I do a lot of events privately. I do a lot of events with work. I'm very active aeromodeler. Um, I fly pretty much every opportunity I can. Um, I think I got to where I am at Horizon because of my presence at events around the world and so forth. Um, so, yeah, you know, at those events, I'm watching. I'm, I'm always watching. I'm a big um fan of learning by watching and from uh, that's from flying from airmanship from you know just general behavior and also market what's going on you know if i suddenly see a whole bunch of 100 cc float airplanes i'm gonna log that and register that and go okay you know that that's what's required and the same i listen you know if i suddenly hear people saying i wish you know there was a 10cc ultra stick Mm -hmm. okay i'll react on that and i'll take that to a meeting and i'll go look guys you know i just did a great example is i I do event reports so fond du lac is a big warbird event up in wisconsin and about four years ago i'd say i did that and i noticed a really big insurgence in world war one there was a bunch of people doing these dawn patrols borsa usa had these world war one airplanes and whenever they'd fly there'd be people you know waiting in line to fly in that dawn patrol gaggle and i was like you know what That's great i love it it's wonderful but there's no offs you have to go and build you have to go and spend weeks or months in a workshop so literally that was in august by november i'd already got the authorization to go ahead and make what is the hangar nine um quarter scale d7 you know, I went there. Guys, look, I'm seeing it. This isn't the first and only event. The Warbird events I've been at. I'm seeing an insurgence in World War One. It's wonderful. It's great. But those guys who don't want to build, can't build. You know, just want to get something this season. They've got nothing. So, you know, I, I went to bat, as it were, and said, "This is what I think." And the initial response was, you know, raised eyebrows. You like, really, you want to build a big, you know, just sub a thousand dollar World War One airplane and you know, there's always discussion, there's pushback, and that's how it should work. You know, so, and if you present a valid enough argument and you have enough passion and, and enough, you know, information and data to back it up, then it's a go.
0: Yes, and beautiful job on that one. I, 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 you know, what I quite enjoy about the most recent planes is how you sit there and say, well, if you want to go gas, go here. If you want to go electric, go here and you know and I like I like how you guys have been presenting that information because I I wouldn't say it's 50 per 50 50 but the amount of people I know that go I will never touch a wet plane again because i've discovered electric and love it and then vice versa right and it's 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 been fascinating to watch and i'm kind of in between right now where i like i love my 6s planes i don't think i want to touch a 12s because that's just craziness but i get it and i understand it and it's so it's it's been interesting and this one was great and then you and is it um your your colleague is uh, mr electric there um Gary, G- right? Gary, yes. I loved how you two were just bouncing off each other in one of the videos going, well, you know, it's built for this. Actually, it was the pits. That's the one. The pits was like, you know, almost built. And then you're like, well, I'm going to take the spec and I'm going to take the go to the next level. And I, and I love that because it's, you guys are basically able to, to mimic what the community is doing right then and there. And you're thinking about that and you're building the products accordingly. So... You know, as a guy who who does like building, but is terrible at it, I I really appreciate those steps and those thought processes. So, um, another question, then, and and I'll pop back into uh, the the fuel and electric after in a second. But have you ever had one that just you tried your hardest and and it just didn't make it past the the cutting room floor?
1: In the sense of getting approval? Yes. Every week, every (laughs) single
0: week. That's awesome. Yeah,
1: hanging on Oscar was um, probably about a year-long fight to get that through approval. Um, There was a lot of pushback on that because it was a non-allied fighter. Um, Oh, what else? What else? Pretty much every project for a while will be on and off. I mean, there's a project that's on the cards right now to be discussed in tomorrow's meeting. That's been off and on, on and off for probably eighteen months right now. And tomorrow it might get the green light. So yeah, it's just it's it's fluid, you know, the market is fluid. We're always looking at at sales. I'm always looking at forums, going, okay, you know, where's I wouldn't say a massive insurgence or a spike, but I'd say, okay, where's stuff bubbling right now? Where are gaps? Where are voids? A great example would be the aerobatic market. A lot of people um, and I listen as well because you know, I, I talk air modelling like 24-7. And I do get a fair few people come to me and say, when are you going to make another aerobatic aeroplane, You know, giant-scale aerobatic aeroplane? We were known for it. Rewind the clock 10, 15 years. And I think it's fair to say we were market leaders in the, the giant-scale aerobatic aeroplanes. And I get people come to me and say, okay, when are you going to make one of those? And I'm like, really? Honestly, no time soon. And the reason for that is market saturation. There are so many players in that segment now. You know, we could come and make a hundred cc aerobatic airplane, and <laughs> we can do a good job. But people like Extreme Flight have got that market wrapped up. Um, so why would we want to? You know, let's let's focus in in other little segments where we excel at, and maybe they don't, or um, you know, others aren't. dominating as it were per se so yeah there's always it's always fluid
0: well and that's that is though i guess that is one of the fantastic things about this hobby um the variety the amount of variety is just is crazy um you also said something earlier on about the lead time so you know you have this idea and, and you know 18 24 months in development are you panicking going we might have you know missed the boat on this? Is this a is this a real threat? Or, or is it just like the the community will still be in love with this idea?
1: There's some projects, yes, definitely. Um there are some projects we have a term at work called Evergreen and I'll use two examples, which is the Ultra Stick, uh, whether it be ten or thirty CC and the Carbon Cub fifteen cc they're what we class as evergreen projects. They, you know, they don't go anywhere. There's no, there's never going to be a massive spike for ultra sticks, but they're going to be consistent. People yeah. are going to want a, you know, a square boxy basher aeroplane. Um, so yeah, there's there's the no on that, but yes, there are others, and there's projects that I'm working on now which will s- release probably this year and next um, that are. I wouldn't say time critical, but I do feel like every week or every month that we miss out, that segment is getting more and more saturated. When we started that project, or these projects, the segment was pretty unsupported, but, you know, others have also, it's not rocket science what we do, others have gone, okay, you know, they need X or Y aeroplane, and they've got to market quicker than us. And um, that is a concern, especially with, like, I've got one project now that's in its fifth year of development. So, wow. yeah, it's, yeah.
0: That's huge.
1: It is. Very, very, very long lead time on this project. Um, but, yeah, with that one, it's changed a lot the market in five years. Hopefully, not so much that it's not, you know, current and desirable. I'm pretty sure it's not. It's a pretty s- safe subject matter. Um, but, yes, it is always a consideration. And that's one of our tick boxes in our system is basically what's your estimated development time for this project. So, sure.
0: Yeah. Um, actually, I'm reading some of the questions coming over. There's a lot of great questions and I'll, and I'll keep pulling back and pulling through them, but Alex asks when building the, the OV-10 um, did you plan on the fact that the OV-10 would possibly be a special or limited market? Um,
1: yes. I, I was from the onset because of the size of it Mm -hmm. um, I knew that would be a limiting factor the cost of it and more importantly the cost of completion that's um, a very important consideration for me uh, is what you're going to have in the actual airplane at the end of it so yes that's always on my mind Um, and the OV-10 was always meant as a say a pinnacle because that suggest we're not going to make anything bigger or bolder, but it was always one of the higher up more special aeroplanes in the Hangar 9 fleet. We'd done a bunch of 20cc Warbirds, we'd done the P-47, we'd done the P-51, we'd done the Sport Basher aeroplanes, which was the Ultra Sticks. Um, I'd done, you know, finished off the Tiger 30cc Sport Basher airplane. done a bunch of Cubs. I felt like I'd served my my dues to the low and the mid-level market and this was my sort of guilty pleasure of going look we haven't <laughs> serviced the top end um so let me loose with a you know a fancy pants twin so yeah that's where the ov 10s was oh, aimed at yeah.
0: I, I have a colleague or buddy who works at uh, Great Hobbies here in Ottawa, and he says, yeah, one of one of his customers ordered it. And he was just, they were looking in the box when the customer came and just stunned. I, this is probably one of those airplanes that I will look forward to seeing in person, but I, I admit the first night it came out when you guys released it, i was sitting here and I'm looking at it and my uh, my wife leans over and she goes, No. <laughs> No. And so it's, it, this is, you know, like you guys smashed it out of the park and I, and and this one was neat in the sense, like you talked about all the innovation that you guys packed into it and, and just like things like the different coverings and stuff like this. And I, and I watched that video, I must've watched the video two or three times and just, just to capture all the finessing and detail. Like, I mean, um, And it strikes it from a visual end of it, the scale of it, the technical end of it, the design of it, and everything. And actually, one question that was posed, particularly in in regarding to something like this, is how much – where did it go? How much CAD work is done uh, in the U.S. or or contracted out when you design something like this? Because obviously, it's all machined. Well, the wood bits and everything are all laser cut, a little bit of machining and everything. How – I mean, you say, you know, 20, 18 to 24 months into the market, but how much of that is that, that pre development time?
1: It varies for brand. Um, it varies for vendor, which vendor we use. It varies for project, of course, and how complex it is and so forth. Um, so, put it briefly as briefly as I can um, flight with the foam aeroplanes or inject, uh, in, injection molded, they will all be done in 3D CAD um part of that cad will be done in-house uh, the majority of it will be done at the vendor um hanger 9 being also wood. um some composite work will be 90 percent 2d cad um all of that will be done at vendor with review here in the us and then back and forth back and forth now the reason for that is multifaceted obviously cost Um, More importantly, it's to do with the conversion for the vendors. So when we've done CAD here in the US, uh, there's always been a conversion issue for when we send it to the vendor to be set up for laser cutting and so forth. Um, Only small, nothing major, but we found it was actually more cost effective and quicker to say, right, factory, you know, X, Y, Z, whoever we're using. Here's my wish list. Here's my drawings. Here's my basic, you know spec airfoil size weight features incidents all that sort of stuff thrust angles yada 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 give us a first round cat and the first round CAD they will give us will be very 2d very basic and then we'll sit there and review revise adjust and say okay um send it back to them and it's like cad ping pong we'll play that game for anywhere between a week to a month uh, until we're ready and then we approve cad and that's when they can start producing so yeah it's probably cad work consists of a hangar nine project for about 15 20 percent of it
0: wow and that's it it sounds intensive like the we, I, we talk we're fortunate on the podcast we're fortunate on the podcast to talk to various designers primarily doing foam but it sounds like it's a very intensive process because the longer you guys are, you know, this step, the the longer, you know, you, it's just extending your development and release time. So it must be pretty intense just to, okay, let's get tick, 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 tick through, and then we can get on to the next phase. But you don't want to make an error, obviously, because it's harder to go back, correct?
1: Yeah, correct. It's so much harder on foam because of the cost involved yes. in the tooling. You know, you've got one shot effectively at getting it right. And even a tooling revision or adaptation or modification is darn expensive. With wood, it's not so bad. You know, we can go, okay, you know what? That wing section didn't work. Can you make us a new set of wings with this airfoil? Yeah, we can do that. You know, worst case scenario... That sample flew awful. I think the you know incidence angles are out. Can you make me a whole new sample? And it's just a quick CAD review. So yeah, yeah it's one of the things I like about hangar I mean, nine. It's uh, it suits my uh, creative nature more uh, than the high pressure. You know, what I see the e flight guys go through. I mean, yeah. they do a lot of CNC testing, a hell of a lot before they go right, we're ready to tool, and, and rightly so. You know, we're talking six-figure sums for mm-hmm. tooling. For yeah. You don't want to get that wrong.
0: No. That's, that's, that is actually some really detailed information. Thank you. Um, yeah. Interesting question from Delta Dart. Any chance of ever seeing a Hangar 9 four-engine Warbird example, like a B-29, the classic B-17, a Lancaster, or would that be too small or too costly for the market?
1: Um, in my tenureship, ship, I'd say no, unless my bosses, you know, say, look, go and make a four engine aircraft. Um, I think, and the reason for that is just cost of completion.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, it, it, I'm thinking right now, if I made a B 17, how big would I have to make it? And I could do it. It's, you know, I could do, we could do it. It's just whether or not the sales I, be, well, I believe the sales would be would support and justify the cost, and that's what it's all about. Andre, you know, we'll make a flying school bus. <laughs> if we sell X amount of them. Yeah. But, you know, we obviously know if we make a flying school bus, the sales are going to be very small. And I believe the same with a four-engined um, aircraft. I, I, I believe you, you narrow the window so much, um, and that's what it's you know, all about for us, especially a bigger company. You know, a lot of people don't realise how how much of a consideration, how how different it is for a company of our size. You know, with the, with the overheads that we have, mm-hmm. with the support infrastructure we have, with the dealer network we have, it's you know the volume is very important.
0: Yeah, uh, Alex asked a follow up question to his uh, OV ten consideration. He says, "Did you guys lose any of them during your testing and development stage?"
1: OV10, no, amazingly, no. Um, yeah, <laughs> nice. it's close. With the one engine testing that I did, I came very close. Um, in fact, it wasn't actually me that was flying; it was a fellow product developer. During the the uh, sign off process, I give it to others to fly, and uh, he had a, he lost an engine literally at the worst point, which was just at the point of rotation. But um, yeah, we. We did bag. We did load testing on the wings of the OV ten, so we didn't do a destruction test. So, no, we have every sample still flying.
0: That's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, let's get into some fun questions. Um, if you had to pick between fuel or electric, what would you like? If you were building your current planes and everything, um, what would you go with?
1: Ah, hands down, electric.
0: Nice. And only if I'm lazy. <laughs>
1: I am. I, you know, <laughs> I am immensely lazy when it comes to having fun. I want to have the most amount of fun for the least amount of effort. And doing as much flying as I do, doing as much development flying as I do, demo flying, whatever you want to call it, um, I've learned that nothing beats the return on investment in in terms of time and effort that an electric gives you.
0: I'm echoing that sentiment. Uh, It's as much as I love the sound of that that 60 cc motor um you know the amount of fiddling and everything and it's almost um it can be terrifying and i could see like i was waiting to see if you were going to put twin motors twin gas motors into the the ov10 and when you said no electric 12s perfect fine i'm like yep i know why because i mean you got to break this thing down to transport it and everything so very cool um Oh, here we go. I'm I these I'm starting to dive into my questions and also reading through any of the uh, uh the questions on the on the chat, but um is there a special model out there that you've not flown or owned yet?
1: Yeah, many. Many, <laughs> many. It's so the thing about the hobby. I've said it's a bit like uh just in my head instilled, it's it's endless. This hobby is just, you know, anyone that says they've done it, they're bored of it, they're quitting because they've done it all is talking rubbish because there is forever airplanes that are out there to be flown. And for me, a whole bunch. Um, So, yeah, you know, I, I I separate it into various different sections. Planes I'd like to fly, planes I'd like to own. And they're not always the same because there are many planes out there that I'd love to fly but have no interest in owning at all. Um, so yeah and the the list is getting longer you know it's like any good bucket list it's it's not getting any smaller unfortunately so yeah
0: So so I have a massive storage problem now and, and and my wife has a little sticker that she stuck on my wall one day saying, you know, for every new airplane that comes in, I gotta get rid of two or three. And I'm like, okay, fine. Now it's actually, you know, becoming harder to to stick within the the, the confines of that rule because a lot of them now are those emotional heartstring planes. And you're like, ooh, it's gonna be tough the next batch if I have to get rid of anything. Um that's fascinating. And I like what you say when, like, the, there's so many different facets in there. And, 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 you know, I, I've been, we've been lucky just to, you know, occasionally take a peek and get a peek of, of what you play with. And there is no, there is no left or right. You've got some extreme electric stuff. And then you go all the way up to your turbines. And like last year, you were rocking out some pretty impressive aircrafts and turbines. But, uh, it, it's fascinating because, um, in the sense that there' you get to show us what's possible out there which is pretty cool and and you know you say that you there are there are ones that you haven't owned yet and I and I kind of go really like uh, and and are you looking to go even bigger like you you posted that other that composite jet the other day that was huge what was it like one quarter scale uh, uh, mig or something like that? No,
1: that's, a, I think, a third-scale Sukhoi from China. <laughs> uh, yeah, me personally, no. I'm, I'm done with the ultra-giant-scale airplanes. You know, I, I was just discussing it today, funnily enough. I was um, with a good friend building. And, yeah, I've, I did it's not so much in the U.S. because you have weight restrictions, which are a little bit... Um, restricting as restrictions normally are but um, yeah in the UK I did some very very giant scale aeroplanes and it was fun I'm not going to lie and say you know I didn't enjoy it but I look back and go would I like to do that again right now and no it's just so much effort for the return you know we yeah, I had some you – know, an airplane that comes to mind is a giant C-17 that was just shy of 300 pounds wet at takeoff. And it was a three-man job to rig it two hours from the moment the doors of the truck opened to the time oh. we were flying. And it was great at the time, but I have no interest in doing that again. Right yeah. now, I'm at that time of life where I'm just being greedy. I want to get as much flying in as I can with the least amount of work. So, I won't, you know, flying just part flyers. I I try and have airplanes. If I can limit it to being able to assemble it and move it myself, that's sort of my limiting factor now. Um, That's ideal for me. So,
0: and then on that, does that influence this kind of? Does that influence your design ideas for the for the products you're looking at and pushing with Hangar Nine?
1: No, I try and keep it separate because I, I said this from, you know, I, there are definitely lots and lots of my inputs, desires in the hang and iron portfolio right now. Um, and that was always my goal when I, when I joined the company. Um, if they let me loose with the purse strings and said, here, make whatever you want to make. <laughs> yeah we'll be bankrupt in a, in, in a couple of years because it'll all be giant scale stuff that only sells a handful so no I, I i always try and think about okay you know can we fit this in a Regular customer's car can a regular customer afford this? Can a regular customer fly? And that was one of the things with the OV 10 was the fact that I wanted a twin engine airplane that anyone could fly. You know, I wanted a twin engine airplane with a Hershey bar wing, with trailing link undercarriage, with a long tail moment and a, a huge stab. So anyone with basic flying experience could fly it. Yes, I know it's giant, scale, and large, but um you know the the design principle of making it as simple a giant scale airplane was what we were going for
0: so will we see a smaller scale version of the ov10 in the future
1: i wouldn't say absolutely not i doubt it in Hangar 9 um because there's already a wooden ov10 out there i believe Mm -hmm. Uh, but yeah i I'm amazed more people haven't made models of it. I really am because it's, you know, I I use a tick box negative process and the positives of the ov 10 are so high. It's crazy. So yeah, I'd be very, very surprised if we don't see more of them.
0: Uh, And I, and I, I love twin prop planes. There's just something so cool about watching those things crab in on final. And if you've got good flaps and everything, so yes. Um, All right. Moving on these questions, having some fun. Best or classified as worst crash ever? Do you got one? Yeah,
1: funny enough, it just came up on the internet today. Um, it's been with me for the last, I don't know, 12, 15 years. Um, it was a the worst crash ever in the sense that it's bloody haunted me for so long. Um, it was a scale turbine uh, jet of a... English Hunter. And um, yeah, it came up on some Facebook crash page today. And the reason why I said worst is because it comes up. It's a video. It's a beautifully shot video. Um, the plane playing fireballs. We were out testing um, at a local field just outside of London, well, about an hour outside of London. And it was totally my mistake. I'd been out flying the day before um, flying the same airplane, I was, it was a pretty new airplane. I was trying to dial it in, and I had a problem with the, the the setup of it. And I finally got to the bottom of this problem, and I had a flight, and it was great. And I was like, oh I was so happy. Normally, I can dial a plane in 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 one or two sittings, but this one had proper horned me for a while. And I got it right. I was like, yes, I'm going to do one more flight. And um, yeah, I didn't simply just didn't factor in how much i'd flown it on what battery i had and the receiver went flat oh. it, you know rolled into the ground exploded into a fireball and it was the worst because it was a very very nice airplane it was the worst because of the cost it was the worst because it's probably the longest or the most complicated paint job i've ever put on an airplane um, still to this day um, i worked with a single painter um, at the time who painted all my airplanes and this aeroplane took him about four times longer than anything else because of the complexity of the the color scheme um, and it's the worst because it just keeps generating so much stuff online about why it crashed and you know i just want everyone to know i screwed up you know it's 100 percent pilot error you know maintenance error we even want to call it my error um and it just goes around in cycles again and the irony of it is, at the time when it crashed, the guy with the camera came up and said, oh, you know, I've got video of it. Do you mind if I post it? And I was like, look, you know what? It's it's totally up to you. I can't tell you what to do or what not to do. But I don't think this does the hobby any good. Um, so I'd rather you didn't. Next day, it was up. And we're on like 8 million views so far that I've counted. So.
0: And you're not getting any royalties either. <laughs>
1: oh, I would happily give the royalties to charity right now. But um, yeah, that's the worst one. So very appropriately timed question, that one. Um, best crash? Oh, there's so many. Um, yesterday, you know, day before yesterday, Pete and I were out filming from the flight and we were doing snow footage. Basically, I wanted to do a video out in the snow and I was doing inverted harriers with, a bunch of different airplanes and yeah to have the ability to keep crashing in the snow inverted and nothing would happen i just got pick the airplane up and flip it and throw it was they're the best crashes
0: they are fun uh yep. yeah that's that there there are certain airplanes that i fly that you know belly landers and just like yep this thing might not last or if it does it's going to be a lot of glue and, and tape by the time i'm finished with it but it's just there's certain planes that i'm like yep certain ones i a baby, and take care of and respect, and then other ones it's like low, fast, hard because those that's just funny. Um, okay, that is awesome. Okay, another quick question. Um, do you have advice to new pilots who want to go larger scale? What should they look for? How should they start out? What do you think?
1: Um, like anything, really seek like minded flyers. Try and learn from others. Try and watch and learn. You know, turn up to a club, which if they, if you have that opportunity, drive to a club, which you know, people fly giant scale stuff and, and see what their preferences are and just see the different handling, different uh, airmanship, different ground handling for the giant scale airplanes. Um, and don't run before you can walk. Remember, you know, giant scale is a state of mind. To somebody, a sixty-inch airplane is a giant scale airplane. Bigger is not always better. Bigger can sometimes be a lot worse. So work your way up to it. If you want to go giant scale, technically the IMA or the AMA, whatever it is, um, clarification for giant scale is just eighty inches which is just two inches bigger than a carbon Z T um, 28 or good example, the uh, carbon Z uh, cub, mm-hmm. carbon cub, that's giant scale. So, you know, start with something like that, get used to the, the handling stuff like inertia. You remember it weighs more. You're you know, if you went straight from a UMX airplane, even to a carbon Z airplane, The the plane's going to fly differently. It's going to have more inertia, more authority, and and, and sit differently. So, yeah, don't just go from a UMX airplane to a 120-inch Bronco. So that's probably my biggest. uh, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Learn
0: learn to land those big airplanes and gentle planes, too. Um, Yeah. Do you uh, well? I guess you fly like uh, all kinds of gear configuration, but uh, and these are one of my hot seat questions. But this is fascinating from from a personal preference and everything. Uh, do you prefer a tail dragger over a tricycle gear?
1: Oh, it's impossible to answer that one for me because there's there's so many different variations on that question. Um, good example is the. Uh, X-Cup that I designed and made for Hangar 9, they do a tail dragger and a trike version of that now.
0: That's and right. For me,
1: tail dragger all day long because the trike version is hideous on the eye. And so, yeah, from an aesthetic point of view, it depends on the airplane. You know, but then if you did a tail dragger OV-10, I'd be like, oh, that looks a bit sketch. So,
0: <laughs> that would be yeah, really weird.
1: From, yeah. From handling point of view, yeah. If I'm being lazy... A trike always wins. It really does. You know, they're, they're so much easier in, in terms of ground handling and, and, and taxing and so forth. From aesthetics, nine times out of ten, the tail dragger for me.
0: Yeah, it was funny because uh, not last year, but the year before, I was really getting on in my jets flying and everything, and, and really enjoying things like uh, the 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 e flight P uh, four uh, P four uh, the the phantom yes there we go and it was funny because I was flying a bunch of different jets and trike gear trike gear and then I land and then I grabbed one of my cubs and I ground loop the uh, the tail dragger for the first time ever and I'm like what's going on it was just you know muscle memory wasn't quite back there and it's uh it's uh, you know I'm like oh rudder that's right <laughs> but it's it's funny that 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 you get used to a certain style and everything and, and yeah but I agree I I quite Enjoy flying a good tail dragger. Um, okay, interesting philosophical question. Almost the future. Ignoring a lot of the issues that we're reading about and everything. You know, what's your positive crystal ball? What would you like to see? You know, in the next two to three years, is for for the hobby. Oh,
1: a lift of the restrictions, uh, rem- removing of the shackles that are holding everyone down, and getting everyone so angst would be. If you're you know you're talking about what I'd like to see removed or changed with the hobby to make it improve.
0: Mm-hmm. So, is this? I don't even I, I hate jumping into these subjects, but are are a lot of these these little issues coming up from from the FA? Are they challenging what you guys are trying to do? Like your plans and everything? Are you really having to think about it, or are you just pushing forward with with products and and, and various things?
1: know, it massively impacts what we do, um, how we move forward. We we have regular meetings and discussions about um, how we're going to work within the restrictions, how the restrictions affect current projects, how they affect uh, future projects, what we anticipate the um, market doing in terms of the restrictions stay the same or get worse. So, no, we're a very, very proactive company in terms of um, working in and around the restrictions. And also working with them, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not naive. We know that they're going to happen regardless of what we write on the internet or say in a podcast. So, you know, what can we do to make the hobby better with them? So, yeah, it's a constant uh, consideration for us now, which was weird because, yeah, in my short five-year time at Horizon, it's gone from not being a consideration to being probably one of the primaries in every project we do.
0: Yeah, yeah, and being very cognizant of, of scale and weight, and then you know, will this thing, will someone be able to actually you know retain their 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 investment down the road? Yeah, it's 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 worrisome at points. Yes, I agree. Um, okay, we're gonna get into some other questions from from the uh, from people watching the the podcast. and know, people have submitted stuff, uh, Scott. Philip uh, writes, in the years I've been in a hobby, I've noticed that models from uh, specific airframes come and go en masse. Example, the A1 Sky uh, Skyraider was everywhere in 20, uh, 2010 to 2014, And now they're very hard to find in foam, except for uh, a couple other releases. Um, Similarly, the A10 all of a sudden showed up and everything and something with the F-18. And now the OV-10 Bronco uh, is in demand uh, and wasn't there before. Is there a time span in the market of like two to three years? Is this something that you look, well, you've just kind of discussed it, but is this something that you guys do where you say, okay, let's, pop this product in and then we'll pull it back and then we'll reintroduce it later on?
1: Both. We um, we will look at market trends and we will look at innovation. We have regular innovation meetings. So, you know, to, to rewind, let's go back four years and we saw a window of opportunity with innovation in the VTOL category. So we directed a lot of our attention towards VTOL aircraft Um, and we went and we serviced that market and we did very, very well. We had a a number of VTOL aircraft that we sold in large numbers and we we moved away from it. We're still looking at it, but we we took the emphasis off that and vice versa, EDF. You know, we, we just not exactly not common knowledge, but. Four years ago, we had very few EDFs in our lineup. Mm -hmm. We had a meeting and we decided, look, you know, it's a segment we think is growing. It's a segment that we know we could do well with. We have vendors who are capable of making EDFs. We have designers in-house who have EDF experience. You know, let's go into that market. And that's where we are at now. So, and the same with subjects. There are trends, you know, there are fashions. And and as I said at the beginning of this, both. There are evergreen projects, cubs, mustangs, you know, (laughs) It's the elephant in the room. I'm going to throw out there is why another cub, why another mustang? Simply because they always sell. They they're sell. want so Yeah, yeah, they're evergreen. You know, it's just, it's just what people want. So, and that's the evergreens and the others. O V is a good example. It's it was nowhere and then now it suddenly is everywhere. A ten is an example. We didn't have any A tens and now suddenly we do. So yeah, it's it's so variable. You know, the, the market we look at and we have little dabbles and we have little experiments and we try and go okay, is that airplane or is that segment worthwhile? having a punt on and if it is we'll go for it
0: nice yes you're getting thumbs up over the edfs you know and i'm bad i've got a bunch of really nice edfs there's one sitting behind me that i didn't get to fly last year because of you know stuff that we're dealing with so this year i'm hoping. I'm up to it because <laughs> it's uh, it's it's those those couple of minutes of terror. Uh, Michael asks. I know uh, Ali works for Horizon. What is your viewpoint? What is his viewpoint on Safe and AES3X? I know the answer to this, but I'm sure a lot of people will be very interested to uh, to hear what you think about all the, the spectrum technology. Uh,
1: it's going to sound so good to see because I work for him. But honestly, even if I didn't, I'll tell you right now. I think they're two of the best innovations that I've seen come into this industry in the 40 years that I've been flying and the 30 odd year or 30 years that I've been working in it. Um, anything that makes a single aeroplane more enjoyable and easier to fly is just gold. It's everything, you know, should be orientated towards. If you can switch it off, then even better. You know, I don't understand the negativity towards the tech. I really do. Well, I do, but I don't want to talk about why I think that is now. I don't understand the logic of the negativity towards the tech because it's brilliant. You know, I've seen people that would never have flown without safe. Never, ever. We've got two of them in our club. You know, they would be at home right now playing golf. You know, what crime that would be or fishing or something like that. You know, they're, they're, they're still in the hobby because of that technology yeah. you know I've watched them at the field take off and I know I've seen enough flights go bad to know where it was going and I know that the only thing that was saved them was safe and then on AS3X I like we know how much I fly how long I've flown for I never knowingly or wantingly want to fly another aeroplane in my life ever again without some sort of stability system I don't know why I would I don't. Why would I go? Okay, I've got an airplane here which is more enjoyable to fly, or I've got this airplane here which is less enjoyable to fly. Hmm, let me just think about
0: that. No, right there. And even, even I've come around in the last couple of years, the, uh, you know what really sold her for me was the, the UMX Timber. I, I, put that thing up right away and I was like okay yeah I get it and from there on I was like yep I've got a DX9 now and it's like any aircraft that comes out I don't even go get the plug and play I'm like nope just let's go and, and, yeah. you know, and it's just, it, it, it works. And I, I do like the fact that, that we now can toggle safe on and off the es 3 x let it rock and roll and do its thing. And it, you know, it took me a little bit of time to get used to it, but now it's like, yeah, no, why would I want to fly? And, you know, and some planes are unstabilized. Some planes that I fly in, in the fleet are just, you know, and they're like the little, you know, Belly landers and that, and then I flew one today while I was testing, and it was amazing. And and the, you know, the expert settings were whacked out, and the basics were too much. But an intermediate middle, and I'm like doing slow passes. It just it makes it exactly like you said. It makes it that much more enjoyable. Ooh, Scott puts up a post. He he just posted a really good question for you. Hangar nine EDFs. Is there anything in the future? No. Nope. <laughs> So it's just props, props, big, big, big prop planes. Awesome.
1: I um, didn't say that, but he said EDS. Is it any EDS in the future? And I said no.
0: <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Um, awesome. Okay. Uh, Calvin asks, what has been the most successful Horizon hobby aircraft? And if you don't know that, we'll, we'll go for a Hangar 9, I guess.
1: In my opinion? Tenureship ship here or just in general? Yes,
0: yes. We'll go with yours. In
1: my time here, it's been the 15cc carbon cup.
0: Nice. Nice. How many do you know? Of course. (laughs) So, how many carbon cups have been sold? Actually, this is a really good question. Not enough. Not enough?
1: Not enough yet, no. Really?
0: And it's but it's still your your number one. So interesting.
1: Never enough.
0: Keep ne- selling. Keep Well, I guess yeah, like you said, it's your evergreen project. But okay, and then an evergreen plane, do you come back and will you do tweaks or is it kind of like until or, sorry, until it's uh, you know, don't fix what's broken or not broken? Yeah, that's it.
1: Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, there are changes to every project I. I have never released an airplane that's gone from first production run to the last production run without changes. So, yeah, we're not forever, but certainly every project is getting tweaked um, from the moment it's released. As far as changing it as a total project midway through its life cycle, no, generally we tend not to. If it's selling well enough, the effort and time involved in changing, say, the color scheme wouldn't justify the additions in cost do we come back and revisit projects yes you know if we feel like there's an airplane that maybe stops selling for whatever reason and we have the tooling and we have the cad and we could put it back into production it's always a consideration we don't often take that route because usually it's as much work to build a new completely new project and hit a whole new customer set um, but there are times where we've gone okay you know this airplane deserves. A
0: second shot so yeah cool that is really cool actually that that yeah it's interesting to see um one one finite question and i'm going to jump into the to the hot seat stuff um will you be doing uh, was the vinyl on the ov10 the bronco uh uh, a big enough hit that we'll see something like that in the future 100 percent yeah.
1: One right. of my uh, M.O.s or one of my goals when I joined Horizon was uh, I don't ever want to make another warbird, scale warbird in ultra coat ever again.
0: Too um, shiny, right?
1: So too shiny, too unrealistic. Um, yeah, too much maintenance. So yeah, I, I, I'm I'm really averse to ultra coat covered warbirds. So um, I started work straight away with a vendor that I knew of. Uh, in developing the printed on covering with more detail. Um, And the first project I got authorized to do was the 20CCP 47, which was silver with black panel lines. And that was it. Um, And then we did a couple of tests with the same vendor and the feedback was good from uh, customers and people at work liked it. So we did the P51 next, where I experimented with much finer printing so we could incorporate rivet details, hatches and panels and so forth. Um, No weathering at that time. And the end goal was to have a very detailed um, finish with weathering with texturing with worn areas and that's what the ov-10 has been so yeah and for me i love it I, I short of glassing and painting an airplane which is impossible for arf production it's the best thing available in my opinion
0: very cool i i, I really do look forward to seeing one of these in person one day because I th- it sounds like that next Next leap, and I'm, I'm, uh, and I'm kind of curious to see if you guys bring something down in size for the rest of us commoners who just have sedans. (laughs) Hey, I got that giant, that that really big extra to to cram into my car, and was really happy that I was. I discovered the tail came off, because otherwise I was pooched <laughs> all right
1: and breaks down into seven pieces we'll i saw
0: it. that i saw that but then you know i would have to probably sell my soul and the rest of my entire fleet to fly it but i probably would do it actually i probably would because i i just i love what that looks like and what it represents
1: <laughs> if you want to fly one uh feel free to come to eli illinois during the summer and uh more than happy to get your stick time on one
0: it might happen one day. It might happen one day. If so
1: that we'll a live live at Eli.
0: That would be that would you know what we we could Pete and I we could set that up. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm, I'm available, so yeah, it's not a
0: problem. Excellent. Okay, we're gonna jump into these quick hot seat questions. They're supposed to be really fast, uh, and there there are tons of questions, and I'm sure I could keep you going for forever. But we'll uh, we'll uh, we've actually been talking for an hour, which has been amazing. So we'll, we'll do a we couple. Like, so. I'm in my
1: basement. That's not you, a
0: problem. You're chilling out. I wish. I wish we could have done the video so Everybody could have seen the backdrops and everything. But uh, it's good that we've got clean audio because that 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 makes the the audio podcast that much more important to uh, to the, to the people that download and subscribe to it, to it. So, okay, we're gonna do some hot seat questions. So I answer a question. You do a quick one, and then there's a there's a bell for for fun effect. All right. Uh, we'll, we'll go through a couple of these and have some fun. So, question number thirty seven. Vanilla or chocolate? Chocolate. Awesome. All right. Question number two. What would you change? This is probably going to be a long answer, but that's all right. What would you change about the hobby if you could?
1: Internet trolls. Kill them.
0: (laughs) Nice. No one's ever answered that, but I agree. There are places I don't go because it's, it's frustrating to read uh ooh. actually I know the answer to this one, so a two thousand dollar plane or twenty one hundred dollar planes
1: oh okay, um oh <laughs> I'm greedy, so twenty one hundred dollar airplanes
0: really that's yeah that's crazy. Given what I've seen in your hangar, sir, that that's 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 impressive. That's impressive. I'm yeah, like... I
1: want to I want to keep flying, and variety is what drives me. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm a quantity versus quality guy. I'm afraid. Yeah. <laughs> so that's only one one crash away from being planeless.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. I I, I, I. Yes, on the on the high end, on the high end scale, I get it, and it's interesting. Um, um, because. This is one, one of the fun benefits of me, you know, running the podcast and continuing with the podcast. I always people uh, have people in my ear going, well, have you tried this? What about this? And that's that's where the, the balsa Gaser came in last year and everything uh, and all these other little things. And I've been having a lot of fun. And, and Pete and I were having this fantastic discussion about turbines. And I'm like, and I started running the numbers and went, wow, that's beyond my budget. But that's that's another story. All right, 42. Uh, floats on snow or skis?
1: I would have said floats, but I converted a plane to skis and flew it Friday, and I'm still smiling, so skis.
0: <laughs> Excellent. That's what I was doing the last couple of days, and it really, it is fun, especially when you see all the tracks and everything, doing little, uh, I called it the tickling the snow, and just, just giggling. Yeah, that's uh. We've had some really nice winter weather, which is kind of shocking for February here, and I've just been out flying as much as I can. Okay, Uh, well, you answered this earlier in the show, almost 42 years in the hobby, so that that question's not really worth it. All right, number 27. Ah, this is interesting. Uh, Ooh, this might be an opinionated one, but why not? Number 27 is, how do you deal with people that complain about flying in an area they think you shouldn't be flying?
1: Differently now than when I used to when I was younger. Um,
0: <laughs> well, you know, we yeah, we all we all mature, and you are, I guess, you you you're an official statesperson of the hobby as uh, yeah. uh, by by rights and by employment, right?
1: Correct. Yeah, I try and explain to them that I'm flying as safely as possible, and apologise if i was flying in an area that I shouldn't be.
0: Nice political answer, I like that. But you guys are also pretty lucky, and Eli Field is just uh, well. Okay, I've flown in the simulator and smacked it off the, the the red building a few times. And you guys have got a fantastic facility to fly out of. Um, uh, John, will will we'll, I'll answer. I'll ask John's question here in a second. Um, do you find it harder to fly in other spaces? Do you fly outside of you know the the Eli field? Do you fly in other little parks and everything? Do you find it harder with the with the larger aircraft?
1: No, not at all. Um, I'm desperate to fly anywhere I can, any opportunity I can, um, for a number of reasons. One, just repetition, um, flying at Eli you know you want oh, to get out That's
0: true yeah. okay yep I, I can so there's that. a
1: lot of pain on the fly if you have watches the on the fly videos that's p and i just wanting to get a different backdrop a different flying experience um so yeah i try and do that as much as possible and i i don't find it any different no i spent a good 10 15 years of my life doing up to 18 19 um, events a year, so that would take me all around the world. So it's one of the things I love is turning up to a new field, especially if it's got obstacles, if it's got a, you know a gap in the trees or something, you know, to play with. That's that's me as happy as. So yeah, I, I relish that opportunity.
0: Very cool. Okay, John asks, and this is actually one that's in our in our note: um, Pinter or thumb fly pilot?
1: Thumbs.
0: All day Thumbs. on
1: uh, yeah. Iraq. In my opinion, um, is the way you were taught. Doesn't matter whether it's mode one, mode two, mode four, pinch with your toes, with your heels, whatever. It's just I was taught thumbs, and that's the way it's always been.
0: Yeah, I've been a hybrid pilot, and it freaks people out, but I'm like, that's just how I gravitated to the sticks and everything. That's Um, it. Yep. Uh, Perks asks, okay, single engine or twin? I think we know the answer to this one, but uh, what do you think?
1: Uh, depends if it's a single engine on a plane that took off with a twin.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a rough afternoon. That's a, that's a, yeah. Single,
1: single for me, always. It's just, unless you've not, you know, got the gist of it. I'm lazy. I'm greedy when it comes to flying airplanes. I just want the most amount of return for the least amount of effort. So yeah, I do like a twin by all means, but single gives uh, more bang per buck. Yeah.
0: Uh, it's funny because, uh, early on, I, I've kind of reintroduced the multi-rotors into, into my, into my ecosystem. But early on, someone showed me a multi-rotor. I'm like, that's like two to three airplanes, you know, motor ESC. Come on guys, you know, work with me here. But all right. Yeah.
1: My saying is, uh, two, two engines is four times the trouble. <laughs>
0: Nice. Uh, Question number 16. Uh, Were you self-educated, self-learned as a pilot, or did you have formal instruction?
1: I wouldn't call my dad being formal, per se, but no, he taught me how to fly to a certain level, and then the rest I just learned by watching others that I aspire to fly like.
0: Nice, and I've I've watched flying. Uh, There are... I have my moments when I can hang upside down, but there's just other times I'm like, "Nah, I just, you know, I I know my uh, I know my strength. I know my weaknesses. Um, how do you encourage people to practice that simulator or just get out and pure stick time and not be afraid to crash?"
1: I've, I've said this a number of times before. Quite recently, it's not, in my opinion, it's not a skill set you're born with. It's not something you're genetically predisposed to being. A good RC pilot it's just muscle memory it's just repetition it's just stick time so yeah anything that gets you that stick time is gold and for me a simulator counts as one third as real or one third as relevant as flying out in the field so you know what if you can do three times as much sim work because it's raining because it's snowing because it's blowing 40 miles an hour then great that all counts anything that gets that muscle memory working so yeah just get out there and fly and it doesn't it it can be you know sometimes it's better than it can be with a crappy airplane that doesn't necessarily fly great or does you know have a pretty vicious stall all of it is about learning with different airplanes that that fly in a different way
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the variety of it all Uh, I will say this um, I I was fortunate enough to be able to afford the uh, 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 real flight and the benefit, particularly early on last year when COVID first really locked us down, was the fact that I could link with my friends and we spent you know, hours online just laughing and being silly. And hey, it's a simulator, so some of it was practical, but then we'd just be doing goofy stuff that we would never do with our airplanes because we cherish our airplanes. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, okay, question number 35. Velcro, uh, fuzzy on the battery or fuzzy on the fuselage?
1: Uh, I have it. What my saying is my Velcro is like my, as I am with airplanes hard on the plane.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Now I, i yet to have anybody argue with that one. Uh, okay. Hey, oh, this is interesting. Um, what do you, uh, what do you think of FPV? Do you fly any FPV aircraft?
1: Pete's tried to get me doing it. I've done it a bunch. Um, Pete's tried to get me involved in it for on the fly. We did an on the fly, actually, episode of me flying FPV. Um, I love the concept. I'm just not mad on the tech. If you could give me FPV with camera and picture quality that didn't feel like I was looking at a phone from 1999, I'd be all over it.
0: Yeah. Um uh, I'm I'm s I'm, I'm thinking this year you might actually, you know, with, with some of the DJI the well V two goggles rolling out and stuff like that, I think you might that might be your the, the clincher, but again, that's uh you know, there's a significant amount of money layout and you know, like you said, you'd rather twenty one hundred dollar planes. So it's yeah, you have to pick your budget and your battles, right? Um yep. interesting. Okay. Uh do you call airplanes drones? Hell no. <laughs> Good stuff, good stuff. We've we've had this conversation on 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 the um, uh, as far as especially with the Canadian regulations, and it's you know, and they're like, uh, okay, I, I my Phantom, my DJI Phantom is registered. I've got my certification, and then I had a couple of friends go. Uh, so have you certified any airplanes? Because we have to actually in Canada, it's per aircraft, and I'm like. At five dollars a pop? Are you tell are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? At least you guys down in the US, if you do it, you all have one number that you can stick on. You know, your identifier number. But I was like, that's 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 mental. So the the DJI is DJI is on the list as far as acceptable aircraft. The planes, no. Those are just planes. Thanks. Yeah. That would get really expensive. Uh okay, you've crashed. Do you grab tape? C A or hot glue.
1: Neither. I've crashed so hard and well. There's no point in any of
0: them. Garbage bag. I'll add yeah. trash bag to that. I'll amend that with the trash bag. Yeah, awesome. that's the given. Yeah. Um, I haven't done a good serious crash. I'm. I'm. I'm waiting for that day when, especially when I crumple a balsa plane. I think. No, sorry. I take that back. I. I killed a. Um, really weak foam. Uh, f-16 years ago and i have not replaced the f-16 in the fleet because yeah it was the um, not epo epp and man that thing was a mess that poor little jet (laughs) all right a few more of these sir and i think we'll uh we'll have a great show wrapped up uh everybody's telling me everybody's saying in the chat a couple people you've definitely got to try dji fpv uh, so maybe we'll work on Pete to uh, get some, some budgeting going for you guys. Uh, no, that's an FPV question. We just had that. Ah, I love this question. Mustang or Spitfire? Mm.
1: Both.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah, um, it's got to be one. Um, oh, there's
1: so many of Mustang just for the choice there's more choice of oddball color schemes.
0: Interesting. Yeah, that's true. I'll gi- I'll give you that. Um I I can't seem to ever have enough Spitfires in my fleet. I I actually don't I know, sorry. I do have a Mustang. I've got an older FMS P51B uh which I fly occasionally and I really like that one because the tail gear retracts so it looks it looks kind of neat. But I I I'm always a sucker for a Spitfire for some reason, but that's that's just me. Um, I liked that episode you guys do with the Mustang and the, and the wings popping off and everything. That was a lot of fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Line of Sight FPV, we've done that one. All right, I think we are wrapping up. I'm just looking at the questions really quickly. Um, and I'm uh, the the randomizer. I got about forty or fifty questions, and the randomizer is starting to repeat itself. Ah, here we go. Mode one, two, three, or four, sir.
1: Whichever one you are taught to fly, I fly mode two.
0: Mode two, okay. So traditional left stick. Yep. Interesting. Ah, uh, because I've talked to a couple of the guys over in Australia. Yeah, and, and they fly. They fly the, the what mode one? I would say. So, yeah, they
1: are all upside down. So <laughs> yeah, makes. Sense
0: and And you sit there and you go, and you have to think about it, oh yeah, you could do it, and I think it's it's like driving it's like jumping between um transitioning between right hand drive and left hand drive, and you can do it it's when you get into an emergency and the automatic instincts kick in. is that gonna yeah. you know like oh, okay, am I shifting into first or am I shifting into fourth or fifth, and yeah, yeah, I get that um actually, I had one in here just for giggles um what was your first car
1: uh Beetle.
0: nice nice um i don't know if i've shared pictures with you before but yeah i have a little british sports car that i adore and actually this year i've had it for 20 years which is kind of scary so a little triumph uh okay i have a fantastic photo i was sharing with a friend the other day um i was sitting in a spitfire um Vintage wings here in Ottawa or in Gatineau. They like we'd done a video and I and I got to sit in. This was a couple of years ago and realized that, that there was no way I was ever going to be a Spitfire pilot. I'm far too tall. So all right, I'm just looking really quickly through the questions. I don't think there's anything else. Uh, everybody seems really excited about you denying or, or saying no EDFs for Hangar Nine. So that's awesome. There is a lot of conversations about twin warbirds, uh, so you've started some some frenzy, and who knows where we're gonna go down the road. Uh, one question: Do you fly helicopters? Um, yeah,
1: I had a little spurt on helis again last year. lasted for about a month. Um, when I was mid twenties, I flew exclusively helicopters for about three years um and yeah it was fun i enjoyed it a lot a lot a lot and i'll never stop i just have little spurts of wanting to fly a heli and then uh get that out of my system and don't and flying for a while
0: excellent all right one last question do you prefer landing gear or would you go for belly landers
1: mm, if i had to choose then always gearless um if I can get the undercrackers off an airplane, it's, it just flies better, looks better. So, yeah, give me a belly land any day of the week.
0: Nice. And I guess, like, that's 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 a really fun part of this hobby and the fact that there's such a variety. So, you can go from your 106-inch uh, massive cub down to a nice little belly lander, you know, um, from e-flight or whoever even the park zone some of the park zone ones were just absolutely the gunslinger the p-51 mustang gunslinger i have friends who who like you know were scrounging up like parts and spares and built them up from like you know uh, kits that they could order from the hobby store from back in the day because they just adore that aircraft because it's you know it's your you know your your ten two 200 aircraft so ah well sir that has been an absolutely um, such a fun time. Uh, so many amazing comments. So many, you know, I could we could probably go on for hours with everybody's questions and and everything. So it's uh, it's it's really good to see uh, the engagement from the community and everything. And it sounds like hopefully. G- despite everything that's going on, uh, we're going to have a, a pretty smashing fun year. So um, hopefully we can get you back on the show in the future after you guys have, uh, you know, released something else special or down the road and then uh, get you in for an update or something like that because that would be a lot of fun. Any, uh, any yep. final thoughts or impressions that you want to, you know, leave with the community uh, before we wrap up the show this evening?
1: Just a massive thank you for having me on, listening to me droll on. Um, I'd be happy to come back any time. I never need an excuse to uh, talk to airplanes, airplane. So, yeah, anytime you guys want. And final thought is just have fun. It's, it's not a life change. This is somebody who lives and, you know, earns his keep by this hobby. But it's not life changing. You know, just enjoy it. If you, if you fly a $100 airplane, it doesn't mean it's any less fun than a $10,000 airplane. So, yeah, get out there where you can, whether it's in the backyard, whether it's in a park, whether it's at the flying field, when you can and
0: enjoy the hobby. Awesome. Awesome words to live by and end the show off of. Uh, Alec, thank you very much and I will definitely be leaning on on that uh, invitation to return for another podcast. Um, Actually, I'll let you go off the line and then we'll finish off and wrap up the show. i have got a bunch of points and stuff that I need to uh, clarify. So, uh, thank you. Pleasure. Take Uh, care, guys. All right. Bye. Bye. That was simply amazing ladies and gentlemen uh thanks for everybody who hang out with the questions and uh and posted those questions uh huge huge fun uh i'm gonna bring up the chat there we go uh yeah okay so but wrapping up the show uh that was amazing hey eh, guys uh, really enjoy being able to talk to people from the community uh, lots more stuff uh gonna be coming down the pipe i flew multiple times this weekend i actually flew in february and like this afternoon's flying was amazing it was so mild and and fun uh i want to wrap the show up and just remind everybody uh patreons the draw uh sam is ready Sam has got the Texans, so we're gonna do that. We're gonna figure out the details uh and uh hanger r c also has the new r c after hours um, coupon code, that will um, give you 10% off. There's stickers, so check out the all the URL links and everything. Buddy RC reviews on, uh, if you're watching the video, there's the big horn, and uh, the challenger is on the other side behind me, and a huge shout out to uh, Dubro, who sent some skis. So if you head over to their website and use uh, product code VIDEO20, Um, You'll get 20% off any of their skis. So that's huge. Um, So keep watching the YouTube channel. There are going to be the reviews of the OMP aircraft on skis. There's some other good stuff going on. I flew that little micro mini uh, Ishin Mustang this week. uh, actually today uh, being Sunday. So this podcast will probably go tomorrow by the time I'm wrapped up. And that thing was actually... Amazing. Uh it was uh, I don't have any photos or anything I can throw up. Uh but it was actually a lot of fun to fly and very responsive. It surprised me. Now, temperatures were good, so I had zero issues on that battery. And then huge uh shout out to Great Hobbies here in Ottawa for the the Zod reviews. Zod, Zod, not Zehad. Zod. There's the uh the drift and the dart and there's the and, and they came along with two of those uh, lithium ion packs so that'll be multiple flights and we'll put fpv gear into that and then the dart will get a return to home module uh from them as well from the zod collection so that is pretty incredible and uh really going to be uh, a lot of fun so stay tuned to all that all right so everybody um Who's still hanging out in the show? Thanks. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'll start to wrap up and throw some music in there, and we'll end this podcast, and we've managed to uh, almost talk for 90 minutes, so that's pretty darn incredible. Uh, again, um, huge shout out to Ali for coming on uh, from Horizon Hobby. I'm going to try and make sure we we keep getting little stuff, and we'll see if we can get some some dev- product developers in from uh, eFlight and everything, because there's a bunch of really cool stuff going down in the future. Um I'm I'm in a lot but I'm just thinking of what is else is so we're gonna try and get Sam on the show, a couple of the other guys, talk to everybody everybody we talked about last week. Thanks for all the comments, thanks for all the subscribers and everything. It's been uh it's been interesting and uh, everybody stay positive. Um happy birthday, Eddie Black. And um have a lot of fun. Thanks for coming out and hanging out with me and uh, we'll talk to you on the next episode. I'm Russo. You're listening to podcast number 86 of the RC After Hours podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>